The Athletic Podcast Network is supported by the Quip Electric Toothbrush, the Tesla of toothbrushes. Most people's oral care habits could be better. We often brush for less than two minutes and use old, worn-out bristles. Quip makes having a fresh, healthy mouth easy and convenient. Their electric toothbrush pulses every 30 seconds, so you clean your mouth evenly, and they deliver brush head refills every three months like dentists recommend. Get your first refill free at getquip.com slash listen. That's getquip.com slash listen. All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Buffalo Beat here on the Athletic Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us. If you're uh, finding us through the Athletic Podcast Player or any one of the free avenues, we appreciate you for sticking around. And of course, it is mid-February. We're kind of in a bit of a holding pattern with how much news comes out. There was. The slight little bit of news that came out, uh, Field Yates reported that uh, the Bills uh, restructured Star Latulale's contract, and that was basically it in terms of hard news as it pertains to the Bills. But we are getting closer to a bigger sort of event where we start to learn some things about potential offseason plans, and that is in with the NFL Combine in just a little under two weeks here. Uh, So we're recording this on Friday, February 14th, and then we'll be off to Indianapolis on the 24th, if my math serves me well, Monday the 24th. So it'll be a a very intriguing time because that'll be the first time we get to talk with uh, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean in quite some time. But leading up to that event, which is more than just talking with draft prospects. It's also talking with agents and getting every single person of importance in the NFL in one city, in a bunch of different restaurants, uh, in a bunch of different bars in the evenings to discuss potential deals and parameters of deals and trying to figure out who might be a fit for, for each team. And it was trying to see if there, quite frankly, isn't any interest whatsoever So the combine is good in both those respects, the draft and free agency. So that's kind of how we wanted to go about this because the Bills have a certain set of needs. We've discussed a bunch of those. Last week, we talked about the defense. We've also touched on the offense. And I think everyone by now has a pretty firm, I guess, idea of what, uh, what they're looking at. But now it's trying to figure out, okay, which areas do they go with free agency, and which areas do they wait for more of an infusion of youth? So Matthew Fairburn is my co-host as always. Matthew, the Combine is a great learning experience, and uh, and I, I guess I'll, I'll kick it off to you. What, uh, what position do you think is, I guess, we'll say rule out a position of what free agency uh, could hold for the Bills. What what don't you think they're they're going to address in that in that realm? I'd say quarterback. <laughs> Fair. I think they, I think they're pretty pretty much set there. Um, no, I mean there's. I don't know 
how much it makes sense to address wide receiver in free agency. Wide receiver and edge rusher all depends on, you know, the next couple of weeks we're going to find out who gets the franchise tag, who agrees to a long-term contract, and who will be hitting the market. And depending on how that all shakes out, I don't know that the Bills are going to be able to find their the type of wide receiver they're looking for. It doesn't look like, you know, I, I guess Amari Cooper's situation is kind of up in the air. Uh, he's, you know, probably 50-50 to hit the market. If he does, are the Bills going to be the team to set the market at wide receiver? Maybe they'll surprise us and do something like that, but they've, you know, been adamant, you know, about their messaging all offseason about not being one player away and not going, you know, crazy with spending even AJ Green who you know at the end of the season I thought you know there was an outside chance it's not looking super likely that that he'll be available either and so once you get into that you look at the wide receiver free agent class in general not a ton of top end talent and so if you're looking you know if we're looking to compare free agency to the draft and saying, you know, where would it be wise to address a certain need? The draft is probably the better spot to address wide receiver than free agency. Just when you look at, uh, you know, the big picture of, of who's available, the names that are out there, they're going to get bigger deals because that happens in free agency. But I don't know that you want to be the team uh, shelling out the money for for some of these unproven guys yeah i i am totally in agreement with you there i think while amari cooper would be wonderful to think about i don't think the bills are in a position where they feel they can just go out of the building and just go absolutely buck wild in free agency i think it is a position that is crying really for a good young player that will be on a rookie deal for them because they have both John Brown and Cole Beasley. They've got money tied up there. I think they want to build from within at that position as well because it didn't work out with Zay Jones. And so guys like A.J. Green, Emmanuel Sanders, I, I just don't know that it makes sense to bring those types of players in. And then Besides them, you have Robbie Anderson, Brashad Perriman, Devin Funches, Nelson Aguilar. I mean, the, it's not really an inspiring list when when you look at it. So I I think I'm I'm really on the same page with you there. The the wide receivers in free agency, as compared to what you could have, perhaps even twice over in in the NFL draft. I mean, just going through and and watching all those guys, it is just kind of jaw-dropping how much talent is out there now will that all be uh, taken advantage of at the NFL level and will we see quite as many hits in the draft at wide receiver as we did back in 2014 that we'll we'll end up seeing but in terms of talent from a prospect standpoint I mean it's it's tough to <laughs> tough to ignore how much talent is out there and the Bills could even go a receiver in the third round, receiver in the fourth round, back-to-back guys that can do different things. And then if one or both of those guys end up hitting, then you're set up for the future. So I, 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 think, I think I'm with you there. And edge rusher is another compelling one because there's just so much up in the air at, at that spot, defensive end. Um, I think 
when you have when you have Jerry Hughes as as your top guy and then a whole bunch of questions after that. I mean, will they hang on to Trent Murphy? My my honest feeling about it is that they will, just because he's signed to a relatively cheaper contract. They're not they're nowhere close to the the salary cap limit. Um they're they're going to need to spend money in some areas. They like a four-person rotation. And even if they were to re-sign Shaq Lawson and draft an edge rusher, I can still see them holding on to Trent Murphy just because, you know, he's he's only there for a one-year commitment. And that's uh, that's dead cap that you don't have to put on yourself right then and there. But I, I'm I'm a little just apprehensive about them potentially going all in for an edge rusher, except if that edge rusher can also pair with a different position, whether it be sliding inside on third downs to a defensive tackle spot or being a strong side linebacker, much like that, kind of inflating that Lorenzo Alexander role. That's really the only way it makes sense to me. What about you? Yeah, I think pass rushers is an interesting case because a lot depends on how the top of that market shakes out. We've talked, you know, we talked a lot last week about how they probably won't be the type of team to set the market on a pass rusher. If you're going to do it, you know, if you're going to spend money, that's a pretty good position to spend money on because, you know, it has a huge impact on the game. Jadavian Clowney is in his prime and one of the best, you know, pass rushers in football. And those guys don't usually hit free agency, but you have to pay a hell of a lot of money to get them. And I think with some of what they have in flux on the defensive line right now in terms of salary, you probably have to move on from Trent Murphy if you're going to justify paying one of those guys that type of money. Of course. Uh, The name I I mentioned in, I just filed a, a, you know, column on, realistic free agent options the bills could target and probably the most unrealistic option i included or the the you know highest tier free agent is is matt judon from the ravens Mm -hmm. probably a guy that in another year would be the the top tier first you know defensive end people are talking about uh but with Clowney and barrett and ngakwe out there you know judon's probably fourth you know maybe fifth on some people's lists uh and maybe that drives his price down a little bit and i think he's the type of guy who could be just as impactful uh in a lot of ways uh, certainly in terms of bang for your buck uh that guy is an absolute beast uh and i think bill's fans saw it up close and personal when the ravens visited town this year he, i think he's one of the most underappreciated players in football and you know if you can get him in the 15 million a year range as opposed to the 20 million a year that it'll cost for other guys and maybe less guarantees and, you know, structure it in a way where it's not a super prohibitive deal down the road. Maybe that's where you take the swing, but otherwise I'm not enthused about, you know, the idea of spending 20 plus million. I'm just not, I don't see it in their, their character and their uh and their decision making past to do something like that i mean you've got 
some some other value plays like you know Mario Addison, uh, who they're familiar with from their time in Carolina. Uh, you know, a guy that could step in and and you know replace Shaq Lawson if, if they let him walk. Marcus Golden, another guy who he was on a one year deal uh, with the Giants and had a great year. He's had some injuries in his past, but very much their type of guy in terms of you know, high energy, um, you know, a super great guy to have in the locker room, somebody that would, you know, certainly fit their DNA, so to speak. Uh, those are a couple of names that, that I identified, but it's not somewhere where I think they'll be spending at the top of the pool because Mm -hmm. the top of the pool is, is pricey and it's, you know, tough to, to invest that type of money, uh, in some of these guys, especially when they have, you know, Jerry Hughes, they have some money already tied up in that defensive line. Yeah, I think the tough part, and I like Matt Judon because when when the Bills were about to play the Ravens, going back and watching his him on film against the 49ers was really fun because they lined him up everywhere. They lined him up at five technique defensive end. They lined him up at defensive tackle. They lined him up as a pass rushing outside linebacker. They they put him at an inside linebacker position. He just kind of did a little bit of everything. He's he's very versatile in that respect, and that's someone I could see the Bills getting on board with. The, the drawback here, though, with him in particular, is that by getting in the door with him, it's still going to be a very costly endeavor. And the Ravens have vocalized the fact that they uh, are trying to re-sign uh, Matthew Judon. Uh, John Harbaugh said, or I'm sorry, yeah, John Harbaugh said the Ravens' goal is to re-sign him this offseason. So any deal that you strike with Judon would ha- ideally, for him, have to include a bunch of upfront money, uh, those high signing bonus type of deals, and to compel him to leave Baltimore, to compel him to leave a situation where he was a dynamite player on a really good team. So that is just a tad worrisome because I don't know, as you put it, if it's in the Bills' profile of what they're trying to do this offseason to do it, to ideally pull that off. Yes, they would they would have to release Trent Murphy, but I don't think they want to get in the business too often, uh, like we pointed out last week, of getting close to even setting the market. Matt Judon is not a, uh, a middle-tier guy. He's more of an upper echelon sort of player, and for them to... Yeah, he's upper middle class. At, yeah, at upper middle lowest, class is the perfect uh, way to put is, it. Uh, he's definitely... I mean, he was, he produced a sack or a quarterback hit on 11.3% of his pass rush opportunities, which was second in the NFL. Uh, that's from Shiel Kapadia's top 100 list. He's 13 on, on Shiel's list, which is higher than he is on a lot of lists, but I, I am kind of in agreement. And you know, he's still behind, you know, Barrett and Clowney and Ngakwe. So he's still fourth um, and fifth, if you count Chris Jones, not really an edge guy, more of a defensive tackle, but still in that defensive line class, probably looking at a, a similar, similarly huge payday. Uh, and, 
And so maybe his price becomes re- reasonable. But if a few of those guys get the tag, it doesn't sound like Barrett is going to hit the open market. Um, I think, you know, the Bucks really want to keep him. So, you know, and there's also tag and trade possibilities with some of these guys. Right, yeah. And and then it, it could get messy. And then all of a sudden, if Judon does hit the market and a few of those other guys don't, his price just goes up. So he could very well be in that, that $20 million a year range and he's going to have suitors he's going to have you know teams lining up if he is available so could be a little bit of a bidding war might not be quite uh in the bill's wheelhouse but just a an awesome player that i think would um you know fit everything that they look for uh, in a in a defensive player on and off the field um just might not be in the cards spending wise for them yeah um i would think if if they were to address I mean, this would also be if either A, they are unable to re-sign Jack Lawson, or B, they're signing an edge rusher to help, uh, I guess, alleviate the concerns about losing Lorenzo Alexander to retirement this offseason. So someone a bit more of a, in a hybrid sense. And a couple of guys that kind of caught my eye that seem like a Bills type of signing based on how they've operated in past years with free agency. One of which is uh, Kamalai Correa, who played for the Titans last year, used to be with the Ravens. It was, I think, a day two draft pick for the Ravens, either second or third round. I can't remember. But um, the last couple of years for the Titans has played in 28 games, has eight and a half sacks, uh, playing kind of an outside linebacker role, uh, potentially has the athleticism to be in that strong side linebacker spot uh, and is still only 25 years old. So maybe that's someone that they could look to. The other one that kind of stood out to me, um, which very much fits their profile of striking for a guy that has had past success but maybe had a down year the the prior year and that player is Kyler Fackrell from the Green Bay Packers who is 28 years old going to be 29 in late November uh, played all four years for the Packers has played um, a linebacker role for them can can uh, rush the passer can definitely has the size at 6'5", 250-ish to play that strong side linebacker role. And he in 2018, he had 10 and a half sacks. Last year, he only had one sack. So there there might be a uh, weakness to exploit in the market with either Correa or Fackrell there. Um, those, uh, those are just, that's the type of player, I think, um, in terms of versatility, price point, and everything that, that maybe they should look to. Yeah, I think those guys are in the mold of Kyle Van Noy, but probably yeah, right. aren't getting that type of money. Uh, and and Kyle Van Noy, I don't know. I I find it so hard to predict what free agent contracts are going to look like because Absolutely. you know things get so weird in, in mid March. So you may maybe you know you sit here and say, oh yeah, maybe Matthew Judon is that you know, that second tier guy that you can, you know, get some value on. And then he goes for 20 million. Uh, Same could be true of Kyle Van Noy, who had a really good year in New England. Somebody might look at him and, and, you know, want to make him a centerpiece of their defense and, and pay him too much money and more than the bills are willing to spend, which is why I think that, you know, group of guys you're talking about would make sense in a strong side linebacker role that maybe they don't want to have be, you know, it's a, it's an interesting question is what is that spot going to look like? Right. You know, because 
Lorenzo Alexander didn't play a huge percentage of defensive snaps, uh, you know, the last couple of years as the strong side linebacker, but that could be in part because of his age and, you know, his, you know, particular skill set, you know, his effectiveness at that age, not to say he wasn't any good, but you knew you'd get more out of him if, if it were a smaller percentage of the snaps, if they go out and sign a guy like, you know, Kyler Fackrell or Kyle Van Noy, you probably want to have that guy playing a little bit bigger of a role and, you know, probably adjusts your scheme a little bit in terms of, okay, maybe this guy, you know, has his hand in the dirt as an edge, uh, on one play and we kick somebody else inside. You're probably not putting him at defensive tackle the way you did Lorenzo Alexander. So finding different ways to use them, uh, I guess what it comes down to is they have to figure out how big a role they want that to play in their defense and what's appropriate to spend on that in that case. Because if it's not a massive role, then maybe they don't view it as something they want to, you know, pay any sort of, you know, free agent deal for it'll be, but I think if you bring in Fackrell, you're probably saying, yeah, we can find, he's going to play more snaps than, than Lorenzo did, you know? So uh, it's an interesting balancing act they have to play. Right. Um, it's actually, you brought up the snap counts over the past few years. And uh, so I just went back and dug it up real quick. In 2017, in Sean McDermott's defense, Lorenzo Alexander took 61.5% of defensive snaps in games played. In 2018, Lorenzo Alexander had 62.1% of, of defensive snaps in games played. So pretty similar, right? 2019, Lorenzo Alexander, 49.5% of snaps in games played, which doesn't include week 17, where they effectively gave it off, gave him the day off, even though he dressed. So right, just under 50%, which is, I mean, a decrease in 13% is a lot for, uh, for what the bills are trying to do. And a lot in, in the scope of a, an entire NFL season, because that's, that's a full, like 130 snaps plus, because usually you get somewhere a little over a thousand snaps per season, so that's that's a that's a pretty hearty amount that they had to dial him back. So um, whoever, yeah, and I don't think it means they don't want a strong side linebacker yeah, in their defense. Agreed. You know, I don't think it speaks to the future role of that player in this defense. I think it's more so it was about Lorenzo Alexander. Still, sixty percent of snaps isn't the type of role necessarily that you're spending massive free agent dollars right, on. Yeah. But, That's the point. Um, but still, uh, you know, better than what it was this year. It's easy to look at this year and think, oh, well, in that role, you don't need to invest resources because the guy only played half the snaps. Well, a little bit of a different circumstance than if you have a younger uh, player in his prime in that position. But also, like we talked about last week, if they do bring in some sort of, you know, big nickel type of player. Right that decreases the importance of a strong side linebacker significantly. I mean, that player might play, you know, strong side linebacker in a manner of speaking, not in the traditional sense, but so, you know, there's a a few different ways they could go about it. And uh, I definitely think some of those, you know, some of those middle tier free agents at the position make some sense, even in, in situational roles, even if it's not a hundred percent of snaps, you know, it's, you don't necessarily want to be banking on Corey Thompson, 
or yeah. right Vashon Joseph or uh, whoever else is left um you know at that position they don't have a tremendous amount of depth at linebacker anyways so uh finding some some backups that can not only play that spot but could slide over in the event that Tremaine Edmonds gets hurt is not a bad idea right and I also like that um you would also be getting some special teams versatility with with those guys that that we're talking about whether it be Van Noy who will probably get paid fairly well maybe not in like the the extreme dollar price points but but yeah he'll, he'll probably do okay in free agency and or Correa or Fackrell just guys in that mold it doesn't necessarily necessarily have to be them um, just in that mold you, you can switch them over to special teams they give you some reps there so that way you are having a multi-use player that you're adding to your roster that you can uh, I guess stomach paying that money too if they are serving you in in that many roles even if it isn't a full-time defensive role that uh, that you're bringing him in to do so I, I I like the sound of that um and that could be one of those needs that they that they tick off uh for the uh b- before they get to the draft which is also a kind of a, a sneaky draft need for them um we'll get to some other positions in just a moment but first a message from our sponsor DoorDash DoorDash has something for every lifestyle on the go with no time to waste order pickup and pass the line having trouble Organizing a meal with your friends, they make it easy with group ordering. DoorDash is more than just delivery. DoorDash brings you all of America's flavors to your door. Ordering is very easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 310,000 restaurant partners in 4,000 different cities. So you might find a new favorite one as well. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 U.S. states, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. With DoorDash, you'll never have to worry about your next meal. And I've used DoorDash quite a bit over the last couple of months and getting ranging from from sushi to pizza to um, to subs, I mean they they get it to you in in short order. So it's a really good service. So uh, it's uh, highly recommended from here. So right now, our listeners can get five dollars off their first order of fifteen or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code Buffalo. That's five dollars off your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code Buffalo. Don't forget that's code Buffalo for five dollars off your first order with DoorDash. All right, to some other positions we go. And I think one that sometimes gets bandied about in the uh, in the Bills Twitter sphere of the offseason is what to do behind Devin Singletary at running back. It's not one that we really discussed at length on a, on a prior podcast, but I think this is a good sort of discussion for it because they they tend to like having an older player or at least someone with some experience uh, at, at running back to go along with him. But I've also seen a lot of people that would like them to grab a running back in, let's say, the fourth or fifth round to, to be a complimentary type of person to Devin Singletary. The one intriguing name that, that I saw out there, I think it was um, Bill Barnwell put together his 
his uh, logic equations, basically, with one thing that happens with one big free agent and all the trickle-down effects. And the one name he linked to the Bills that I hadn't previously thought of was Devonta Freeman. And that that's an interesting one to me, even though he kind of struggled this season, struggled with injuries as well. But has some experience, has had some success as as the lead guy and in a reduced role, could might still have some juice left in him. So what do you think, free agency or the draft? What what would you think, what realm do you think they would address it? Yeah, they definitely have a history of free agency, uh, you know, with running backs, Frank Gore, TJ Yeldon, Tolbert before that. I mean, they, they have addressed this position that way in years prior. I really think the way to go is is the draft or even undrafted free agency. Uh, I don't know that you want to be paying for a guy's second contract as a running back. You can find guys that are fine, but if you truly want to have a tandem at running back and have some insurance in case Devin Singletary goes down, which I think is probably the more important part about having multiple running backs is not so much the you know, rotational aspect of it, but the fact that you don't want your offense to just disappear if Devin Singletary gets hurt. And that's essentially what would, your running game would take a significant hit if you go from Singletary to TJ Yeldon. But if you can continue to add young players and have some intriguing, you know, guys developing behind, uh, you know, behind Singletary, younger, you know, upside guys, I, I always think that's the way to go. The only thing about running back and free agency, though, is that it's become almost a a value because nobody wants to give the big contract to a running back. You saw Le'Veon Bell hang out in free agency for a while. You know, what's the price tag going to be on Melvin Gordon? Probably not that high, right? Like, it it probably won't be crazy. Like, Devonta Freeman, like you're talking about, who's, you know, had a, a big contract in his uh, in his past already. Right. I I think he's already, you know, had one of those. Um, he probably won't be super, super expensive. So it's not a bad idea to have, you know, one of each one from, you know, because assuming they're moving on from Frank Gore, um, TJ Eldon shouldn't be guaranteed a roster spot, you know, grab somebody in the, in the late rounds, you know, with one of those late round picks or, or in priority free agency, uh, give them a realistic chance to make the roster and maybe add a, a veteran to the mix too, since they, they enjoy having a veteran in each room and, and go from there. But I don't think it's something that they'll be going too crazy. Yeah, over. I agree there. I think the, the one area that doesn't make all that much sense to me is whenever I see a mock draft or talk of the bills, trying to add a running back in the first three rounds, that is, to me is just a total non-starter because they have a really good player and an up and coming player in Devin Singletary that completely changed the complexion of the offense last year. And you don't want to take his influence on the offense away because of how dynamic a player he was. And I don't think that's what Brandon Bean is approaching this off season with the intention to do. I think more of what you're talking about mid to late round running back or undrafted guy. Uh, I think that maybe even doing both of those things, finding a a weakened market veteran running back to compete with TJ Yeldon for a spot or even take TJ Yeldon's spot. 
since they showed that they don't really trust him after the preseason anyway. And I think he had a fumble in the Cincinnati game as well, which did not do him any favors. But also to bring in a young back to kind of complete the room there. Because after Yeldon, I mean, they're they're probably going to move on from Frank Gore. I think uh, the way he kind of ended the season and how ineffective he was pretty much wrote that one for them. But after Singletary, you have Yeldon and Christian Wade right now. That's that's it. They they need to do something at the position, and they probably need to do a couple of somethings. But I don't think they need to do, need to do any big something. Which uh, drafting one in the first few rounds is just a complete non-starter to me. Yeah, unless you're getting somebody who's drastically different, or I don't know. Can it's not the worst thing to have two really good running backs. You know the way the Saints did for a while um, with Kamara and Ingram. Uh, that's not a bad little you know situation to be in but i don't think it needs to be a priority unless that somebody's sticking out and i don't think first two rounds should even be on the table at all if you're in the third round and somebody's sticking out like a sore thumb maybe you entertain it because you don't want to be sitting there in two years and being like well we didn't you know draft the next alvin Kamara because you know devin singletary was on our roster it never hurts to have more than one really good back but I think you can still find those guys in round four and later. And this is a strong enough draft at the position that you don't need to be forcing the issue uh, that early in the draft, especially with other needs that need to be addressed. Wide receiver, defensive end, offensive line, defensive back. I mean, there there's quite a few where it's harder to find those guys later in the draft. So I'm with you. I don't think it's I don't think it's one they need to invest significant resources in in either pool, free agency or the draft, but they do need to add to it. Um, and, you know, you need to find some value somewhere so that, you know, it's not a complete um, black hole behind Devin Singletary if, if he were to go down because he did get hurt last year. Let's flip to the other side of the ball. And I saw that you tweeted about one guy in particular that um, has been linked to the Bills just based, based on prior relationships back in Carolina, the old Carolina days. That position is cornerback because the Bills have Tredavious White, who's obviously locked in as a starter, who they would probably want to extend for the long term. They have Levi Wallace, who is, I believe, an exclusive rights free agent. He's either exclusive or a restricted, but either way, they're, they've they've got his rights uh, heading into the next year. So he's basically re-signed. And Taron Johnson. But Uh, and Saran Neal as well. Kevin Johnson is an unrestricted free agent. And that is one of those positions where you always like to have a bunch of younger guys um, to kind of develop in the background or even become your long-term starter. But it's also one of those spots where sometimes a veteran presence, specifically in a zone-based defense, is a great thing to have because they have that experience to draw upon. There's uh, less room for error. There might be uh, less room for potential in growth, but you know more of what you're getting. And for a team where the Bills are right now, which is a playoff team from 2019 that expects to probably get into the playoffs again next year and try to win a playoff game, maybe even a couple of playoff games, if we're feeling a little crazy here, um so 
what is the best approach there? Is it to try and find a middle tier guy that that fits your offense, fits your defense, fits your scheme, is more of a zone based guy, a, a long lean corner, or is it trying to find that guy in the draft and figuring out if uh, Kevin Johnson can come back and having just a, a big time competition between draft pick Kevin Johnson and Levi Wallace to see who the starter is. Yeah, I think they'll be looking to to make a a move in the draft. They've got a pretty good track record of developing cornerbacks. And so it's not overly necessary to, you know, invest a ton of money in free agency. You know, Josh Norman getting released I don't know what type of money he's going to be looking for, but he has not been good over the past couple of years. So you have to think about the fact that the Bills are going to have to pay Tredavious White a lot of money uh, pretty soon. And, you know, how much do they want tied up in the cornerback spot at once um, when they could draft a corner in the first or second round and have him under contract for four or five years at a pretty good bargain? So I think that route is probably the way to go. Maybe make an effort to re-sign Kevin Johnson. He might want to hit the free agent market. Mm -hmm. I think there could be a decent market for him. Uh, But Levi Wallace has been, you know, somewhat serviceable, I think, over the last couple of years. And that was a guy that that was undrafted. So uh, I think you can draft somebody to compete with him. Uh, Life's pretty good if Levi Wallace is your third or fourth boundary corner, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, life also hasn't been too bad for the Bills secondary when he's been their second boundary corner. So uh, I think that's one where I lean towards the draft as opposed to free agency. And maybe they're always looking to add multiple guys. And if they lose Kevin Johnson, they'll find this year's Kevin Johnson, you know, a a guy that um, has been, you know, maybe written off for whatever reason and try to kind of, you know, rebuild them a little bit. But not an again, not a position where I think it's worth you know spending through the nose to to upgrade because I think they're in pretty good shape as it is, and I think they're they're good enough at developing that position that you want to continue to add young players and you know develop them in house. It's the best way to get um, you know you know guys that are cheap um, you know contributing to your team. I'll throw a name out there. Um, there has been much talk this offseason about whether or not Minnesota would move on from Xavier Rhodes. And if you are looking for a guy that would be a pretty close to perfect fit for Sean McDermott's zone-based defense, it's Xavier Rhodes because his his arms go from here to Mississippi, basically. Um, and he is had a down year last year in somewhat of a, a man-based scheme and um, they could save upwards of uh, a little over eight million dollars uh, on their salary cap this year by releasing him he's going to be 30 years old in June probably could get him for fairly cheap or a middle tier type of contract especially since he's made all uh, a bunch of money already and he's probably going to be uh, getting some money um, just based off that contract he's he's currently on right now uh, I, I think if, if he were to hit the market that that would be the one guy where I would sit there and go all right that uh, that could be something especially if they have the cap room sign them to maybe a one-year prove it and then uh, especially with so few 
cap dollars tied into the uh, in the cornerback position right now for 2020. Any anyway, I I think he's the one guy where I would sit there and go, all right, that that might be worth you know uh, dusting off the uh, dusting it off here and trying to figure out if if he could be a solution because he would probably want to go to a winning situation. The Bills right now are a winning situation. They, they made the playoffs two out of the last three years. They've got a head coach that a lot of people around the league respect. He, um, it, they, they play a defensive scheme that can prolong a, a player's career at, to play at a high level because he doesn't have to turn and run as much. Um, so that, that, uh, that could be a conducive fit. What, what, do you, what do you think about Rhodes? I know you talked about going to the draft, but I mean, I don't know. That that's that's the one guy that kind of sticks out to me. Yeah, I think he's a, he's been a good player at times for the Vikings. Uh, he's I've always liked him uh, as a player. Uh, mostly, I think he would. Uh, he's a good tackler. Um, mm-hmm. Is you know one thing that I think would would appeal to them. I think he would have a market, but it, it's hard to tell. Um, I would I, I wouldn't I think that's the the level of signing you're looking for if you're uh if you're the Bills in terms of adding a veteran that fits sort of what you know Kevin Johnson was except I think Xavier Rhodes hit a higher level oh, yeah. um you know than Kevin Johnson did in Houston so if there's a bargain signing to be had like Xavier Rhodes I think you you certainly dip your toes into that and and figure out a way to make it work I don't, I don't think anybody would complain about having a guy like Xavier Rhodes. Um, he's been a, a quality player. You know, I know he's not been the most consistent in the league, but you know, he wouldn't necessarily have to be on an island in this defense. Mm-hmm. He, you know, they don't rely on a ton of man coverage. I think that would probably be good for him. Uh, it's it's a pretty good place to play corner. I, I think he'd be a, I think he'd be a, a pretty good addition. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. And that's not to say that I I view Levi Wallace in a bad light. I think Levi Wallace was actually given a bit too much criticism at times last year, especially with how he started off the the 2019 season. I mean, he definitely went through a rough patch and the Cleveland game was the worst one of them all. And that Cleveland game was the catalyst to them splitting reps uh, between him and Kevin Johnson from that point forward. But uh, I also don't think it was as easy as ah he stinks just get him out get him out of there I mean there there is still some potential there and he's still a younger player and being an undrafted guy needs to get a little bit better at tackling needs to get a little bit stronger even though he's he's done both of those things uh, over last offseason now it's just a continuation and figuring out if he has that next gear and providing some competition along the way they want him to be a potential solution for them in the long term if if they can but they also can't bank on it because they saw him struggle against Cleveland and they are not at the point of their build where it's all right we'll just trot out these younger guys and let them learn on the job it's okay if you don't have it then we can't we can't stomach you being out there for for too long um so they need to have some depth certainly some competition and because Levi Wallace really didn't do enough to shore up that starting job last year so it's it's just trying to move on and and see see what uh free agency will hold but if it's not a guy like like Rhodes who would be a perfect fit uh, in that middle tier 
free agency realm, then I'm, I'm probably with you leaning, leaning more towards the draft. All right. Is there any other positions that you can think of that kind of have like this weird, should it be draft or free agency sort of thing? I, I think, I think those four are, are four of the top ones. I think offensive line is a, another one. Yeah. Uh, I, don't think they're done on the offensive line and I don't think they think they're done either um I think you know last year they they did a fair amount of work but if they lose Quentin Spain then you know some shuffling has to go on John Feliciano is coming off a torn rotator cuff Cody Ford is coming off a below average rookie year so what happens? Do you move Cody Ford to guard and sign an offensive tackle? I mean, Ty Inseki is old, and they didn't trust his knees to hold up for the whole season, so he had to be on a you know mm-hmm. rotational basis with Cody Ford. So there's a lot of questions on that offensive line, which wasn't all that good last year. It was better. It looked a lot better because of how bad it was in 2018, but there's outside of Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morse, you know, spots up for grabs. Uh, and I think, you know, signing, signing a veteran or, you know, I'm not ruling offensive line out in the first round, um, of this draft. Yeah, if, same. if they, yeah. if the right player is available, I think that's very much in play. So if you're taking an offensive lineman in the first round, it has to be a tackle. Yeah, I think, you know, if one of those – it's a good tackle draft. If one of them falls to 22, yep. I think, you know, take a tackle, move forward into guard, and, you know, go from there. But they're, the work is not yet done, I guess is my point. And I think uh, they're they're going to make some additions there, and I think it's wise to do so in free agency the way they did last year because there's certainly some value to be had. Yeah. Yeah, it it all depends on. I mean, I don't think they should go into go in and set the market at guard or anything like that. I, I just don't know if they view that position to be really um, worth it, unless you just have an an absolute stud and an all pro on your roster. But these guys are hitting the market, so they though they are not those guys. Are they could be solid starters for you, but they're probably not. Um, game influencers the way that a Quentin Nelson in Indianapolis influences a game from from the left guard position so yeah there's if if they can find that that weakness in that middle tier area absolutely think about it but um, I I think I'm more so and this isn't shocking but I think I'm more so in the camp of hey try and figure out it if there's a an offensive tackle that compete that can compete with Inseki for that uh, starting job at right tackle, figure out what you can do this year, at least give yourself some outs. And then, um, and then that way you have more flexibility in the draft. So that way, if a, a good tackle does fall down to you, and if that's the best guy on your board at 22, you can still feel comfortable with taking him or even in the second round, but you don't necessarily feel like you have to do it based on trying to salvage Cody Ford and trying to not have Ty and Seki start every single week. So yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of things to, uh, for, for them to decide there, but, uh, but yeah, I, I would not doubt that they're, they're in at offensive tackle in the middle tier of, of free agency. All right. So the bills, uh, will start to get a feel for all of these free agency discussions once they get to Indianapolis in a couple of weeks 
and that will be a lot of fun. Um, still one more show before we hit the road to Indianapolis, and uh, and of course we'll we'll try and get a little bit more into the draft prospects that maybe we're we're keeping a close eye on as as we get into the actual NFL Combine and perhaps ones that could be fits for the Bills uh, when when all is said and done at the end of April. All right, Matthew Fairburn, what's what's your send-off for the day? My send-off is that everybody should go read this story John Vogel did with Rick Jenneret in which he says, fuck all and all sorts of other naughty words. Uh, I enjoyed reading it this morning, and I think everybody else should uh, should go check it out over at theathletic.com. Well said, yeah. Um, and, of course, John and Joe Yurden are two Sabres reporters and do a great job, especially in such a a downright travesty of a season for the Buffalo Sabres, but we'll, uh, we won't, we won't get into that seeing as how, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, uh, the vitriol <laughs> there is, is kind of crazy in, in Sabres Twitter land, um, especially over the past few weeks. All right, Matthew Fairburn. Thank you. As always, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you to all of you for listening to us here on the Buffalo Beat. And if you haven't subscribed to The Athletic just yet, go ahead and do so at theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. If you do so, you get a 40% off discount on your yearly subscription. So go ahead and do just that. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next week in our last show before the NFL Combine. See you then.